Uh, this morning's Bible reading comes from Luke 5, 33 to 39. Uh, I'll be reading from the NLT version. One day, some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Jesus responded, to wedding guests fast while celebrating the broom. Groom, of course not, but someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. From then, the new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. And no one, no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins, but no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old wine is just fine, they say. Well, there's definitely lots happening, isn't there? There's plenty going on in the church, uh, plenty of things to get involved in, uh, plenty of things to get excited about. If you're at home and you're going, you know, I've got to be involved in this, uh, get on down and, uh, and be a part of it. Uh, we've got plenty of things going on. You may have also seen in the care link, if you get the care link, or even the box out the front, there is uh, a, a, a asking for uh, Bible donations, a donation for a Bible. Um, and if you're thinking, well, what's that all about? I want to tell you what that's all about. Uh, each year in our Thanksgiving offering, we give money that goes towards buying Bibles for graduates from the Basin Primary School, um, but also our school, our church graduates, uh, grade six graduates going into high school, and we buy a Bible for them um, to encourage them, to uh, give them some hope. It's something that we've done at the Basin Primary School for a long time, and what a blessing it is to be able to give young people a Bible. How great is that? Um, with our Thanksgiving offering, we didn't quite hit our targets this year. So that's why we're sort of asking, if you would like to donate a Bible to um, a, a child, uh, sort of be either from the Basin Primary School or from uh, church, please uh, um, feel free to, to, to get involved in that and do that. You'll be able to see uh, more information on the Seek and Find table, uh, speak to Pastor Jordan and myself, or uh, even anyone on the leadership team, they'll be able to point you in the right direction for that. So um, that's, that's why that's sort of sitting there. If you're wondering why, um, yeah, we want to make sure that we can honour all the things on our Thanksgiving offering. Um, because we didn't quite hit the, hit the target, we sort of squishing it up a little bit, I suppose, to make sure it's there. Um, so think about that. That'll be good. Also, I want to acknowledge that Ray Cox, uh, who some of you or most of you might know, he's preached here before. He's preaching at Upway Baptist this morning, helping them out. So um, yeah, just be thinking of him. I'm going to pray now and I'll pray for him as well because he's probably up there preaching up a storm already. Uh, so let's, uh, let's sit and pray. Our Lord, we thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to get involved in church. We thank you for the opportunity to give Bibles out to uh, students. We thank you for the opportunity to share messages of hope with other churches. We ask, Lord, for Ray, uh, that you give him, uh, fill him with your spirit now as he preaches, as he shares the message that you've shared on his heart with them. We also pray for Tom next week as he goes and shares with them as well. We ask this morning, as we start this new series, that you give us clarity in the, the, the word pictures that you've used um, uh, as we learn a little bit about new wine in, uh, uh, in, in these wineskins, Lord. So we thank you so much, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, if I'm honest, fasting isn't something that I've embraced a whole lot in my faith journey. I don't know if this, as a spiritual discipline, some of you might be really great at fasting. We were in France, and uh, I was there with Solari's family, and we were having a, a holiday. And it was at the time where the church that I was uh, involved with, I was uh, working for, uh, was calling a new pastor. And our pastor had said to us as a leadership uh, team, we want you to fast on this day because this is when the day is going to be that we're going to have the interview for this pastor. It's like, yes, we'll be involved. Trouble was, I was in France, and this was the day we were going out for crepes. Now, when you're in France, that's what you do. You go have crepes, don't you? This is the only day that we're having crepes in France, and I've been called to fast. It was tough. It was tough. I learnt what fasting was about that day when I watched my family eat crepes with chocolate drizzled over it. It was just, oh, you know I love food. You know I love chocolate. And so that was a day I was called to fast. It was, it, was, it was the smell. I can still smell it and I can't taste it. Um, so I did, though. I fasted. I fasted and I watched. Uh, as I was re- I reflected on what fasting did for me that day, I realised that um, it was a sacrifice that drew me deeper to God. One, because I had to go, God, keep my ears and mouth and eyes off this stuff in front of me. But it was actually an intentionality that I set myself forward to say, I need to focus on you at this time. Not because of not wanting to eat the the grapes in front of me, but that there was something more important at this stage. So I was able to worship God in the presence of all these grapes and say, actually, Lord, I need to focus on you. I'm wondering, how have you gone with fasting in the past? How's that been for you? At some stage, I'd love to hear your experiences on fasting. Was it something that drew you into a deeper worship of God? Was it something that you did to, to go, all right, well, I'm just going to do that because someone told me to? I'd love to hear it. Because the reality of my day of fasting when we were having interviews for this new pastor was that it was hard because I wanted those crepes. However, once I moved past this idea that, that um, fasting was an obstruction to something I really wanted, it became a, a real space of worship. Today's text that Kyle read for us came, comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. And, um, and, and whilst fast, fasting is a key question being asked in this passage, Jesus answers through parables and it opens up other understanding about who Jesus is and a new way that Jesus is bringing to the Jewish people of the time. If they can take their eyes off the crepes and only see God. So we're going to start this series on the parables of Jesus. And we're looking at the parables through Luke's gospel. They come through the ministry section of Luke's writings. And if you remember a little earlier in the year, we looked at this last week of Jesus' life through the gospel of Luke as well. Uh, and as we go into Christmas, we'll, we'll do uh, our um, Advent through uh, Luke as well. But for now, my prayer is that the parables that we hear through Luke will be encouragement for each of us today to help explain more about who Jesus is and the character of God. So let's pray and we'll get stuck into the text. God, help us to understand what your words are saying to us today. Help us to learn them and grow in them. 
We thank you for the word pictures that your son used while he was on earth to help us know you more. Amen. So the text that we have in front of us starts with a statement. It says, They said to him, John's disciples, like the disciples of the Pharisees, frequently fast and pray, but your disciples eat and drink. Now, who are they? That's they said to him. Jesus hasn't been doing this ministry thing all that long. He's still really the, the sort of new kid on the block, I suppose. Yet already it started to make a storm with the religious leaders of the time. The passage directly before what we read today shows Jesus having a meal with what, what the, the Pharisees would have called the less desirables. He calls his disciple, one of his disciples out of them. And it's the Pharisees and scribes who at that stage are starting to complain about who's Jesus eating with? They're watching Jesus and go, who is he eating with? And the text goes on in the passage that we read today and says to them, they, they have this issue. So we can presume it's the same people that had the issue with Jesus eating with the, the sinners. And they're asking a question. Why don't you follow the same way of the Pharisees? Why don't you follow the same way of even John's disciples? Why don't you do the same thing that they do? Because they fast, and you guys seem to eat. In essence, why are you rocking the boat? Why are you doing things that are going against tradition and custom? And the key one they pick up on is fasting. So let's go back a step and understand who the Pharisees really were. They were a group of zealous Jewish leaders that took their faith seriously. They believed that, that the way to, to please God and to make it to heaven as such was by following this list of religious rules and regulations, living to the letter of the law as such. Anyone, anyone that uh, lived to that letter would be right in God's eyes. And there was a lot of laws. Does anyone know how many laws there were? 613. That's right, 613. If you're a visual learner, you can go to uh, an, uh, and go and visit an artist's website. Um, his name is Archie Rand, and he's painted a picture to, to depict each of those 613 commands. And this is him, and there's that little picture. If you know your Hebrew, you can, well, fuzzy Hebrew in the background. But he's written, uh, uh, he's drawn a picture to, uh, a painting to depict 600, the 613 of these uh, paintings. So have a look on his website if you can find Anyway, the Pharisees, they'd strive to keep each one of these laws. So you can understand when Jesus comes along, keeping the letter of the law regarding fasting, when he didn't do that, they were upset. But what we've got to see is much of their fasting, much of their, what they did was about ritual. They had certain times and days that they were to fast. And there were, there were many who would do it just... For the show, take Matthew 6, 6, for example. It says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Fasting was not about the show. It wasn't supposed to be a ritual to get things done at the right time. Luke 18, 12 tells us that the Pharisees fasted twice a week, and that was seen as a virtue to do that. However, that started to mean it was less about the worship and more about being pious. 
Usually fasting came with a sense of repentance. Uh, It was a sense of a, a future hope. They would fast in the Old Testament for the hope of the coming Messiah. So this was a real serious heart action. Yet it had turned itself into a show. And Jesus and his followers weren't interested in putting on a show. In fact, Jesus and the disciples, they were more interested in in having a party, living it up, having a meal with sinners. It's not how the law would say it should be done. So Jesus, the rest of the starts to go, well, you've asked me this question. I'm now going to come back at you and I'm going to use word pictures to help you understand and visualise what the reality was. Do you want me to use a... Cool, thanks, um, Dave. Um, So Jesus uh, uses that that, uh, word pictures to visualize, help them understand what that was. And as he unpacks this new way, Jesus, in his early uh, ministry, starts to reveal more about who he is. Jesus starts by responding to them with an image of a wedding. And in, in Luke 5, verse 34, he says, Jesus answered, Can you make friends of the bridegroom while he's with them? Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when that bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they're going to fast. Many times in Scripture, Jesus portrays himself as as the one in the bridegroom's position. Therefore, the friends of the bridegroom are presumably his disciples. So when the bridegroom is around, hey, don't fast. Celebrate. When you do it at a wedding, you celebrate. But Jesus alludes further to who he is. The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. That's when you're going to need to fast. Already very early in his ministry, Jesus starts pointing towards the time of his suffering that is to come. A time when the Messiah will be taken from this life, taken away from them. A time where it will be right to fast in anticipation of his return. But for now, Jesus is with them. Enjoy it. We live in the in-between, don't we? This, this liminal space, the now where we enjoy the blessing and the fullness of God's grace that comes through the cross and the resurrection. But the not yet also, because we're still yet to see the fullness of God's great plan in, enacted in, in the world. So it's right to fast, to draw close to God now, to renew our hearts towards God now. Because God's way isn't one that sets rules and regulations in place in order that we tick a box. Don't just fast on Tuesdays and Thursdays because that's what we do in this church. God's way is one of utter, complete, undeserved, freely given grace. And as the Pharisees and scribes try to make sense of it all, Jesus goes and tells them three short Parables, word images to help them get more understanding. And these three images remind us also that as we seek to serve Christ in and through our lives, we too must be careful that we don't fall into the trap the Pharisees and the scribes did. Those who are so set on the law that they were not willing to break from their contentment in the law. They were were used to the law. It was working for them. So why break what works for me? Yet God was doing something beyond their scope, beyond their understanding, that rather than consider a new way, 
a way that signaled God's authority on earth, they were happy and content with what they already had, this old system, the law. So we're going to unpack these three parables. The first one is that Jesus brings a new garment. Luke 5.36 says, He told them this parable, No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. Now I don't, I don't know, do, do, do parents still put patches on, on pants, like on, on your, when the kids, I don't know that it happens as much, you do that Jackie, yeah, yeah still put patches on, your pant, on the kids' pants. Now my, my mum used to do it all the time, we used to scrape our knees or whatever and on the ground, and so you used to get holes in your, in your knees all the time, and I'm sure it was really frustrating for my mum, but she'd always get the sewing kit out and she'd patch it all up and, um, and there was no problems, no holes in the pants. Now we didn't really like it um, because the patch wouldn't always look the same sort of thing as the hole did but that's what she used to do but I'm sure she used some specific material because because it didn't shrink with the with the pants uh, the, the the old pants and the new new patch didn't seem to worry them but when you've got a old old sort of washed piece of fabric that's already shrunk a little and you put a brand new piece of fabric on it you sew it all up then you put it in the wash that that brand new part starts to shrink the clothing that it's on doesn't So the problem would therefore be you're going to end up with the patch coming off. It's going to break. You're going to end up with the hole again. Don't patch the old with the new is what Jesus is saying. However, if we actually read the text closely, you'll see that that the image that Jesus sets is actually quite, it's almost humorous. It's almost ludicrous. He says, no one tears a piece from a, a new garment to put it onto the old one. Not just don't put a piece of new garment on the old one, it's going to shrink and it's going to pull away. But it also neglects that you've got a new garment sitting right in front of you. Why wouldn't you just use the new garment? Now, it makes sense when you had your favourite Levi 501s. Does anyone have the, remember the Levi 501s? Yeah, yeah, we've got some nods. Excellent. We all had Levi 501s if we were back in the 80s and early 90s, I reckon. <laughs> they were the jeans that you wanted to have and you were so reluctant you didn't want your patch, your, your 501s, because the, the, the holes were meant to be there. <laughs> I can understand that. But when you've got a new pair of 501s sitting there, you're not just going to cut out a little bit of the new 501s to patch the old ones, are you? You're going to wear the new Levi 501s. If you're going, what is a Levi 501? It's just a, just a pair of jeans, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Why cut from the new to help the old? Because it's still going to remain old. So in this parable, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, the way that you are serving God, it was new at one stage. God gave them the law. It was okay. You kept the law. And you kept it as good as anyone has kept it. But the law is not used for its original purpose. And I've not come, Jesus says, I've not come just to patch it over so it can last a little longer. I'm coming to bring something totally new. I'm here with a whole new set of clothes. You see, the law was never given to the Israelites in order to condemn people or to make people feel better or worse than someone else in society. It wasn't there to be used as a stick to beat people with. They were developed for a a young nation that was wandering around in a desert, trying to bring some understanding about how to live together in community. So when the law became a a stick, a rod, 
It was like a worn pair of jeans. No new patch is actually going to help it. So Jesus tells them that they're old clothes, they're full of holes. But I've got a new pair of clothes that I can offer you. Clothes that lead to righteousness, not to lawfulness. So what about us? Where our righteousness doesn't come through working hard to achieve uh, objectives to complete obedience of the law, does it? Our righteousness comes by being clothed in Christ and Christ alone. In return, we become transformed people. People who then seek to live by the law. I've come across many people who dismiss this element of Christianity. We can't become right in God's eyes without actually doing something. I can't get baptised until I fix up a certain area of my life. I can't give myself fully to Christ because actually I'm not good enough and he's going to see the, the flaws in me. I'll work harder and then I'll be seen as righteous. God's economy just doesn't work that way. A whole load of patches going on old clothes is only going to end badly. My first uh, car was an old 1982 Holden Gemini, Canary Yellow. And uh, that's not the actual one. I couldn't, I, uh, my, my time of having that was before phones that had cameras. Um, show my age. Uh, but I loved that old car. I loved it. Nearing the end of its life, um, it, was, it was not just yellow. It had a whole lot of silver on it because it was stuck together with the, the tape. Um, the bumper bar was stuck on with tape. Um, the sealant was holding the radiator together. Um, I think I cracked an egg into it one time to, to, to get home. So all those sort of things that you just do in your, in your... And it had the biggest hole in the muffler. It sounded like Jordan's um, Subaru, um, but it just didn't have the grunt. If you ever heard Jordan drive into church, you know, oh, there's Jordan, um, hearing from miles away. But um, my car... Ah, sounded like that, but didn't drive like that. <laughs> so, but imagine I took my old Gemini to the mechanic and said, can you fix the muffler and can you give me a new transition because it's really um, not, not that good? I know it's going to cost a lot, probably more than the car's worth, but, but can, you just, can you just fix it? And the mechanic looks at me and goes, it's probably not worth it. Hey, why don't you just go down to the car yard? You know what, I'm feeling really generous. Go and choose a brand new car. I'm going to pay for it, and you can drive it away. You, you do that. I'm going, mechanic, that's really nice of you. So what would you do? You'd go down to the, the car yard, and you'd choose a car, wouldn't you? You'd do that. Maybe you'd ask, are you being serious? Are you just pulling my leg here? But anyway, you go, and you pick up this nice new Mustang. And you go, this is great. And you drive it back to him and say, thank you so much. That's so good. I appreciate you doing that. Now, if you can take the transmission out of this one and put it back in my Gemini, if you take the muffler and put it... It just wouldn't make sense, would it? It wouldn't make sense. Yeah, that's what the Pharisees were saying. I want to keep the old Gemini. I'm familiar with it. Just add the new things to patch over some of the holes in the old things. It'll be okay. But the grace of God, this free gift that Jesus offers us, is that you have a brand new car. It's new. It's different. It's going to look different to what it once looked like. But this is a car that brings so much more. 
This gift that God brings is one that brings eternal life. This allows rejoicing. This allows celebration with people that, that may not have any hope. Instead of saying, sorry, let's stop the party now because we've got to observe this law. He says, accept the new car, the new clothes, this free gift of grace. The second sort of word image that he brings forward is um, in verse 37 and 38. He says this, Jesus, Jesus brings a new wineskin. And uh, it says this, And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise a new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. No. No, comma. No new wine? Comma. That's important. <laughs> no comma, comma. <laughs> you see the term, it's the term no one, no one. Um, it sort of signifies a new parable being talked about. So, so now he's talking about these wineskins. Wine was commonplace in biblical imagery. We remember Jesus' first miracle was at the, at the wedding where he turned water into wine. Uh, it was used in celebrations throughout his, Israel's history. Uh, it was cautioned not to get drunk on wine. But it was used in, in a lot. So Jesus' use of a parable involving wine was something that people would connect with straight away. They'd understand. It would be in their minds. The word images would start sort of being played out. So people will be picturing these wineskins. And the wineskins were the things that housed the wine. And they were made of animal skins, mainly goat skins. And the animal was killed. The hides were cured and cleaned, obviously, and then sewn up. And the spout of the skin, of the wineskin, um, was the neck of the, of the animal as such. So new wine, which is obviously pressed by, um, from grapes and, and poured into this wineskin, when the wineskin was full and the, the neck would be tied up and it would be made airtight. And as the juice ferments, it produces this carbon dioxide gas. So the gas would then expand the wineskin. And so once the, 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 the wine would become a good vintage, it could then be poured straight out um, of the wineskin and could be enjoyed. However, that wineskin, through that process, stretches. The new wineskin stretches um, in that process. So it's stretched capacity by the end of the, the process. It's fully stretched out. If someone came and put new wine, so you pour all the wine out, they put new wine into that old wineskin, it just, uh, the new wine would ferment, but there's nowhere else for the wineskin to go. There's no more movement. There's no more ability for it to stretch. It would actually just burst, and both the wine and the wineskin would be ruined. So Jesus reminds his listeners that no one would make that mistake. No one would be crazy enough to do that. It would be such a waste to do that. No one would do it. So Jesus, he continues in the same manner as the first parable, that, that there's going to be a new way that Jesus is bringing, a new way that actually needs new containers. The old wineskin has done its job. It's housed the old wine, the old way. It held things together when the need was there. Yet what Jesus is bringing, this new teaching, this new way, can't be held in old structures. The rigorous nature of the law won't hold onto the new teaching of grace that Jesus is bringing. 
Jesus wasn't coming just to introduce a new structure, a, a different law. Because what happens to new structures? Over time, they become old structures again. Rather, Jesus' parable here is asking the, the listener the question, are you willing to receive this new way of teaching? Are you able to stretch in your thoughts, in your mind, as to what God's doing around us? Are you willing to be stretched in God's call for you to be missional, to be a blessing to your community? Are you willing to be stretched by a gospel of grace rather than the rigidity of the law? Because the new way sometimes means that the party might be happening with the sinners and tax collectors, and it might be on the same day as the law tells us that the fast needs to happen. But Jesus says, let these containers expand. The Pharisees, they were old wineskins. There was no room for a new way. There was no room for grace to invade and expand their skin any further. So if there wasn't fasting on the right day, they're going to ask the question. The next parable straight after this is all about the Sabbath. And they pick the wheat on the Sabbath. Same concept. No room for stretching and growth. The law in its, in, its, in its administration by the Pharisees didn't allow room for grace. Didn't allow room for anyone to oppose. Didn't listen to one another. It was quick to judge, quick to point the finger. You're not doing it the right way, Jesus. Yet the gift that grace, grace brings is, is that there's joy that can be found. In all circumstances. Philippians 4 verse 4 tells us that rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Grace brings joy. Grace forgives. Grace brings forgiveness. Grace allows disagreement and loves one another in it. Grace, grace allows the wineskin to expand. Grace is concerned with the heart. Law is concerned with what is around us? Grace asks, how are you going in your faith journey? Can I walk with you? The law looks and says, you're not doing the things right. It condemns you when you're not living up to it. Grace expands the wineskin. The law stays in the old wineskin. Does your wineskin have Room to move. The third story that he brings is Jesus brings new wine in like Luke 5, 39. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. I'm no sommelier. Do you know what sommelier? It sounds like a sommelier. 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 It's a, a wine connoisseur. I never heard that before, but anyway. Um, but but uh, they, they know someone who can... Pick the right wine to go with your food and all that sort of stuff. So I, I actually don't drink wine at all. But, but one thing I know is that wine generally gets better with age. Is that, is that right? Wine gets better with age? And, and when you find a nice wine that you like, generally uh, someone who likes their wine will stick with that wine. They'll go back and buy that same one because you found it. It's like a, I'll use Palmer's. When you find a right Palmer at the, at the local, local place, that's the one you want. So you go back there and you choose that one again. Palmer works better for me. So, so Jesus here uh, says here that no one, once again, no one, once they've found the drop that they love, once they've found the palmer that they love, will, will have a new wine or a new palmer 
that taste different. <laughs> with this single verse parable, Jesus deals with the problem of change, doesn't he? We all know that change is difficult. It always has been, it always will be. When, we look to, when things look different to what they've looked in the past, we can say, no, I want to go back to the old wine. COVID's been a massive change agent, hasn't it? Things look different in just about every facet of our lives. It's been really, really hard. But Jesus says that the change that he's bringing can't be covered with a patch or an old uh, outer casing. Jesus says that change needs an openness to an expansion, to be like the new wineskin. And Jesus says that there'll be need to acquire a new taste, a new taste like acquiring a new taste for a new wine, a new way that Jesus is calling us to. But Jesus expects that some people won't be able to sip on that new wine. They're so entrenched in the old wine, in the old ways, in the keeping of the law, that this new way, the way that Jesus offers, this way of grace, for them, it tastes too different. It tastes bitter because this new way means that those who are not doing what I do, they still seem to get the same benefits I do, but I'm doing the right thing because that's what the law says. It seems bitter because the rules that I live with don't seem to matter to them. If you've seen the Shawshank Redemption, most of us maybe would have seen that by now. Great movie. It's really worth seeing. But if you've seen it, there's a line in it that's really quite poignant. It's a story about a banker, Andy, who was accused of, of murdering his wife. And he's put into prison and becomes good friends with Red. One day, a friend of theirs is let out on parole after being imprisoned for his whole life. He got out and he didn't know how to function in an open world. And he ends up committing suicide. So Andy and Red are confused by this. They're both looking for that freedom and are struggling to understand why their friend, after finding freedom, would do this. So as Red and Andy are chatting, they're sitting, staring at the dingy stone walls, these grey walls. Red says, at first you hate these walls. Then you get used to them. Then you don't think you can live without them. It's a pretty good depiction of what Jesus is saying here. The Pharisees have become so used to how they were living, so used to the wall in front of them, that anything new, anything different, just wasn't going to fly. The new wine just doesn't taste good to them. I wonder if you're willing to taste the new wine. Now, it's important for us as a church We've heard this morning about uh, opportunities for ministry, opportunities for mission. Much of the narrative at the start of COVID lockdowns was that, that it's a chance for the church, not just KSBC, but the church to reset, not just put a patch on the old garment, don't just put some new programs in or inject some new music, but rather give it a whole set of clothes altogether, that there's going to be better wine to taste. And we're seeing the church sort of not, not just KSBC but as a whole, starting to fill up again. We're seeing pockets of hope. We're seeing these opportunities that we've heard about today opening up to develop uh, community opportunities. We've got Ray preaching over at Upway and explaining that. Tom's going there next week. We've got opportunities to share with the people around us, the churches around us. 
But we've got to be keeping, keep on being open to the grace of God in God's leading in all of this. Making sure that we're seeking God's direction for the new thing that God is doing. Leaning into God. And I love that, that, that idea of incline, God inclining his ear to our prayers as we pray to him. As we explore what ministry looks like through the coffee cart, through different opportunities, through women's and men's ministries, through play groups, through connect groups. Exploring how we can best serve our community and how we can be a, a part of helping other churches revitalize after they've struggled through COVID. It takes an openness as a community to ask a question, then an openness to allow God to do a new thing, to be new wineskins, to wear new clothes, to drink from a new wine. It means that perhaps some of the things that we've held on to in the past need to change as well. Some ways that we did things may have to transition somewhat. And it might be difficult. We might want to say, but I like the old wine. I like the old programs. I like the way we did it back then. But God is the God of new things. And I'll finish with a verse from Isaiah 43, verse 19. It says, see, I'm doing a new thing. God is doing something. God is doing a new thing continually. And I want to be part of that. So this morning I want to pray for us as a church. I want to pray for you as individuals as well. That we're open to the direction that God is leading us. A direction that is governed by grace, not burdened by law. And for you, if you've not tasted this wine that I'm talking about, I want to pray for you that the new palmers are good as well. If you've been in a church in the past and you've been hurt by it, if you've been disillusioned by the church in some way, shape or form, been hurt by a church that hasn't shown the grace that maybe you expected of it, and you've ended up in KSBC this morning in person, maybe online, maybe you haven't stepped foot in the church again since COVID, I want to pray for you that you will know that God is doing a new thing. God is offering you this new, this grace that God is working in and through his people here. Let me pray. Now, Lord and God, we, um, we thank you for these images that Jesus sets for us to help us understand that you are a God of complete grace. That There's no amount of striving we can do that will make you love us less. That God, I pray for for us as, as individuals today that we will live into that grace. We'll live as people of of that grace, that we will live out a faith governed by it. Now, Lord and God, we give you thanks that you are doing something new in individuals. May we be renewed in your spirit. May we fast because we want to know you more. May we hunger for you. And God, I want to pray for KSBC. Lord, there's opportunities everywhere. (laughs) Lord, may you show us what are the new opportunities you are seeking for us. 
May we be open to seeing them. May we be open to getting involved in the, the, the opportunities. May we be involved in seeking you for the church. Lord Jesus, we want to pray for this area, that God, you will do a new thing in and amongst the churches of this area, that you will be glorified. It's not just about KSBC, it's about the kingdom, that you will be glorified in, this, in your kingdom. We give you thanks and praise, God. Thank you for this church. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.